Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And if in your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDOC founder membership. At SASDOC EMEA, this October 12 to 14, you could be in for a chance to win a cash prize of $20,000. Present your idea at ClearPitch, a data-driven SAS pitch competition co-hosted by SASDOC and ClearCo, designed to help SAS entrepreneurs present their idea to a panel of judges and an audience of SAS professionals. Apply for free now to pitch your SAS to the world by visiting sasdoc.com forward slash EMEA. Imagine that you could get access to the revenues you'll be generating in the next 12 months already today. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth and on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or go to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. The way that I think about growth is try to really closely pay attention to what's working and make sure that any new experiments don't distract from what's working. Like keep the experiments going, but you have to be able to keep energy on, you know, things like affiliates, content marketing, direct sales that uh, have worked before rather than chasing, always chasing a shiny new thing. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, Nathan Barry, CEO, founder of, uh, of ConvertKit. Welcome, Nathan. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to great to have you on the podcast. I feel like we had you on the podcast before, but maybe I, I, sh- I should have checked this. Uh, I know you've spoken at SaaS Talk, but it feels yeah, like... I, I actually can't remember. So yeah, maybe yeah, we yeah. have it, okay. we haven't, but, but <laughs> coming out for SaaS Talk was really fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, let, let, let's check, check those facts uh, uh, sort of later. But you did, uh, I think, as, as you mentioned, um, you know, come to SaaS Talk in 2017, I think it was. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it sounds about right. Again, another good uh, fact check, but it but it feels right. I remember the t-shirt because uh, actually I'm wearing the the 2016 t-shirt, which you probably can't see right now, and it's got the speakers' names on the back. And we we did a, a, the, the I think it was the 2017 one, which has got uh, Nathan Barry on the back of it. And I think we just stopped doing them in like 2018 and 2019, which is a, which is a shame. But um, there there we go. But uh, uh, but when 
you did uh, come to Dublin, uh, which we're very kind of grateful for. Um, uh, ConvertKit was at 8 million, uh, I think, roughly in ARR, according to the YouTube talk. Um, and, uh, you and you can trust what you hear on YouTube, you know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and now you're significantly a little bit, uh, you know, further ahead, uh, you, you know, I think soon to kind of cross 29 million ARR, um, and, uh, as a bootstrapped, uh, company. Yep. Uh, so congrats uh, for that. And so we will, we'll dig into that a little bit, like how have you grown you know, from eight to 29 in, in the last couple of years, but before we kind of really get into that, um, maybe some of our listeners have not heard of you uh, before, Nathan. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself and like who is Nathan Barry, you know, where are you calling in from? Um, yeah, let's learn a little bit more about you as a, as a person, then as a founder um, and take it from there. Yeah, so uh, I live on a farm in Boise, Idaho. Uh, so kind of Western, Northwestern United States. Um, we've got... Uh, nine acres of land, like just kind of on the edge of edge of town, like 15 minutes from downtown. So, uh, when I'm not like working on the computer building a SaaS company, I'm, you know, like doing the, the small farm homestead thing, you might hear like chickens or goats, you know, yelling in the background or something. So it's kind of fun to have that balance between like high tech and, uh, you know, uh, basically the way that a friend said it once is if you work with your mind, you should rest with your hands. And so I've always loved things like, uh, you know, building houses or construction or woodworking, you know, you'll see things like, uh, I have this giant create sign behind me. Yep. That's a woodworking project that I did. Um, that's what I do. My background's in software design and user experience. So I like, I came to the world of SaaS, you know, first from web, web design, then getting into like designing web applications and, and then, um, like I loved iOS, I like in 2010, got into that world and was like, the iPad was amazing. It was different interaction paradigm than what I was used to designing for the web. So I spent a few years there and then kind of came to the audience building space of like bloggers, podcasters, uh, YouTubers, all of that. And was like, this sounds great. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go from being a freelance designer to like building my own audience. Uh, and then from that world, I discovered email marketing and was like, wow, this is amazing. It's driving all the sales for books and courses, uh, but I hate MailChimp. <laughs> and so then uh, in 2013, that's where ConvertKit came from, was basically my attempt to build a better MailChimp for for myself, but but for you know content creators, basically. Very cool, very cool. And to unpack a couple of things there. So um, living on the farm, this is a more of a curiosity uh, sort of question. As you went, uh, so you, you got, we you say nine acres, uh, you mentioned chickens, goats, like any other animals? Yeah. Um, some years we have pigs. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're doing like the whole regenerative agriculture thing. And so yeah. pigs are really helpful for like moving them around and, and turning up the soil and all that. We don't have them this year. We just decided to keep it a little simpler this year. But so is, is it an active farm in terms of like you sell livestock and produce or are you living off the land or how how is it? Uh, more of the living off the land side. Of- yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. My seven-year-old actually did set up a little stand at the end of our street, and uh, he he did that for a while. We also have like a fresh-cut flower uh, garden, and so that's fun. Okay. But it, it's very much a hobby project rather than uh, it doesn't generate any revenue. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, uh, and and uh, I did see. I, I must be like whether it's uh, Instagram or, or social media uh, somewhere. 
um, but you were building, like you said, you could do the hands so that you're building your own house or tiny house. Uh, is yeah, that so I'm actually in uh, yeah. a tiny house for anyone who's like watched Netflix shows or anything like that, a tiny house on wheels. So yeah. it's like eight, eight feet by 24 feet. Um, and that is my office. So my commute is out my back, back door, like across the yard. And then I've got this dedicated space set up. And how, how long did it uh, take you to build that? Uh, I spent a, almost a year on it. Um, you know, just like spare time, that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, it was March, 2019 through early 2020. So very cool. Very, very cool. And then move, moving on then to, you said you found a convert kit. You didn't like MailChimp and wanted to, you know, create uh, a better uh, product firstly for yourself, but then also, as you say, like mostly your customers and you've got the big word create to look behind you, mm-hmm. you know, is the, are, are the, or, or certainly then the, the creator kind of like audience and sort of industry, is that still true to today? Like, are you just having like, are there like other SaaS companies that who are not necessarily kind of creators that would use ConvertKit instead of MailChimp or is it mainly the ICP is like, you, you know, you want creators. So. Yeah. It's the whole range of things, right? Because now all the SaaS companies have, discovered content marketing as well. Whereas in, and so they are creators in, yeah. in that sense. Right. And so they need email lists and, and all of that. We don't have as many, you know, I think of um, like bare metrics and um, there, so there, there's like a, a decent number of SaaS companies, but the, the bulk of our audience would be uh, either someone, you know, just getting started and like, Hey, I have a thousand email subscribers. I'm, I'm just growing my podcast um, or email newsletter all the way through to, we have like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tim McGraw, and then a lot of authors. So like Tim Ferriss and James Clear, um, uh, a lot of people like that, basically kind of the biggest solo creators, um, you know, are running million subscriber email lists on, on ConvertKit. Uh, and then we've had this big expansion into music the last 18 months, kind of with the start of the pandemic. Um, we already had some music customers and then that just accelerated a lot as they were all like, basically put touring on pause and said, what do we do with our online presence? And, and we started growing pretty, uh, pretty quickly there. And then we did our first acquisition uh, at the beginning of this year, which was a company called Fanbridge, which was email marketing for musicians. And so we bought them and, and that brought over about 1500 uh, artists to the platform. Cool. Uh, very good. And so when you came to Dublin, um, like I mentioned, um, you spoke about using direct sales to bootstrap to 8 million ARR. I remember, and perhaps was this conversation or maybe another where you kind of talked about this, where I think like initially you were just doing inbound, but when you when you started doing outbound, you kind of realized that there was almost like an inflection point. Uh, was that right? Yeah. So I really, you know, I came from the world of inbound marketing of like from the blogger um, side of things, which there you're not selling a SaaS product, you're selling, or I was selling info products, you know, uh, eBooks and courses. And so I thought, great, this is working really well. It, it's a fantastic way to grow a business. Let me apply that to SaaS. And it just didn't work. And so what I found is that you have to, for inbound marketing to work well for SaaS, you have to already have product market fit. And when you try to um, you know, do content marketing for, uh, for SaaS before product market fit, you're just not getting the feedback. You're like, people are you know, clicking on your landing page going like, okay, that's interesting. I guess it's not for me and hitting back. And all you see is like a visit that gets logged. That's it. Whereas when you do direct sales and you have conversations, like if I'm like, Hey, you should switch to convert it. 
you actually have to respond, <laughs> you know, like you as a human have to say like either yes or no. And if you say no, you have to say why. Um, Cause it's considered like socially awkward. If you were just like to back away slowly and leave the conversation, you know, yeah. like, and so that feedback is so important. Um, and so, yeah, we really use direct sales heavily um, first to, to recruit individual customers. Um, and we still do it to this day to recruit like, you know, the big name, uh, customers like an example would be Arnold Schwarzenegger of like mm-hmm. working to get he you know no hearing from his team over time of like first just finding out who is his team who who's the chief of staff or who runs marketing for for him and then getting to know what are the what are their goals uh, and we actually like first did a project with them a few years ago where it was more on the political side of like something that happens a lot in the United States is uh, gerrymandering where you like redraw the districts to make them vote like for your party, you know, and so you get these crazy shaped uh, like voting districts. And so uh, Arnold was doing this big campaign against gerrymandering and to try to like get that to stop. And so we were able to get a foot in the door and be like, Hey, we'll run the email list for that. And then, you know, a year and a half, two years later, when he's ready to start his newsletter, which is wildly fun, by the way, if you go to Schwarzenegger.com and and sign up, uh, you know, then he, that's like actually a big thing with hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and then that launches on ConvertKit because we help them out with a small thing. So yeah. we still use direct sales for those big influential customers. Um, uh, and then we also use it a lot for partnerships, you know, of in, like in the affiliate space, um, basically anyone who has a big blog podcast audience of saying, hey, like become an affiliate for ConvertKit, you know, do a webinar with us, do a workshop. Um, that's still... It's still a lot, but now that we have scale, like the uh, inbound content marketing, you know, paid ads, all of that works a lot better. And I'm assuming as well, like, so let's say you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger and a million people or whatever, uh, you know, may subscribe to his letter, um, newsletter, and it's powered by ConvertKit. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be some virality uh, as well in terms of like, is it every time he sends out a newsletter or your customer sends out a newsletter, you see this kind of like, uh, you know, new signups, right? Because people are seeing like, what's ConvertKit? And then they look to kind of like switch to that. Yeah, so maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago, we really started to put emphasis on the power buy side of things. We'd always had a paid plan from the beginning uh, and we didn't like, we didn't do the freemium model until actually 18 months ago. And so we didn't put the same emphasis on like powered by that I think someone would if if they started with a freemium model. And so we had to, sort of add that in later um, and make that more of a thing. Now powered by is our, it like fluctuates um, with search as our biggest traffic source. Like mm-hmm. they, they'll trade off uh, month by month. Um, it still converts relatively low. So like on a, a visit to uh, account created conversion rate, um, Search will do between five and six percent, whereas powered by will be between about three percent. Um, so it delivers the same amount of traffic as like as search, but half the accounts roughly. Um, but it's also free and just keeps growing. And so now we think about that quite a lot where we might do a deal with a really big um creator where part of the deal is that they specifically leave the powered by badges turned on um in trade for a 20% discount or something like that. Um, because we're like one of our core metrics is to grow that because it's just like it's free traffic that keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. And so now, 
four years later uh, from your 8 million ARR uh, sort of milestone, um, you're now, you know, to say just sort of crossing 29 million ARR, but I think about 60, 18 members worldwide. Uh, uh, so there, there or thereabouts. And um, what, if anything, then has changed to your, your, your sales, like marketing kind of a strategy uh, from that period to kind of help you get to, to this growth? What, what, what are maybe some of the key things that you've done during this period uh, given obviously like using direct sales uh, was one of the key things to get you to 8 million, to get you to 29, is it more rinse and repeat of what we're doing and we're just kind of growing? Uh, or is there anything else that that, that you've kind of added in that's uh, really kind of helped? Yeah, so the 8 million was the like pure scrappy numbers, you know, lots of direct sales, lots of, you know, you're just trying to piece together revenue from wherever particularly probably the first 3 million and then 5 million, like the next 5 million, you're, it's, it's like you're systematizing the scrappiness, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and so probably the next phase is when we started to figure out, you know, paid advertising, which we're, we're honestly still not that good at it yet of like, I don't know if as a bootstrap company, we just don't have the same tolerance for payback periods that like, like, I don't like a, 18 month payback period on an account like that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. whereas someone else might be like oh 18 months is phenomenal like <laughs> you know we're used to 36 months or you know um but we're using like funding it out of our own checking account that's not yeah not the same level um i would say that a big thing that's really hit its stride would be our our content marketing we tried something trying to think when we launched it probably would have been 2018 maybe maybe 2017, somewhere in there. Um, we launched an online publication called Tradecraft. Mm-hmm. And everyone at the time was putting out individual blog posts. Uh, and then, you know, you'd have like three blog posts a week coming out and you just sort of had this content machine. And we took a different approach and we said, we're going to treat it like an online magazine and we're going to do topic-based issues. And so once a month, we're going to come out with a new issue and it's going to be like how to earn a living selling digital products, you know, the complete guide to podcasting. And each issue is like maybe six to eight like in-depth articles. And what that did is it gave us like substantial content and it was really useful. You know, it was free on, well, it was all free, but you could either download it as a PDF, you know, to read as like a a little ebook, um, or you could link to any one article and read them all, you know, on on the web. Um, But I think it gave us a lot for link building because the content had a much higher perceived value. And you also had, instead of like trying to build links for each individual post, you're building links for this, like effectively a mini book um, once a month. And so it was like, we had this launch that, that came out. And so we did that for two years and sort of built out our catalog. And then we would go back and just update and re-release. And we're like, here's the, you know, the complete guide to podcasting again to your, you know, but like people don't, they're just like, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. This is, you know, people like memory is short. And so you just keep making the content better and do another round of link building on it. So that was a huge thing, you know, and, and like searches are either one or two for our, our traffic source. And, and it's largely because of um, that strategy. Good stuff. And so trade with, um, did you say trade kit? Uh, was that uh, trade craft? Trade craft. So trade craft. Uh, so, have you kind of like, you're now just going to, you've created all this content, you're just repurposing it, refreshing it. So no more like new content. It's just kind of like updating 
what you've done. So in the last now years. we're back to doing uh, new content again. So we we found that balance. Um, yeah. But one thing, like that original idea, was that we would just work through the existing content because I think a lot of people uh, sort of skip over what works onto the next thing. Like as as founders and, and entrepreneurs, we're we're very used to like doing something, it not working. Like, okay. Next thing that didn't work. Next thing that didn't work. Next thing that worked. Okay, let's do the next thing that didn't work. And you keep going. You're like, wait, hold on. Yeah. Three things ago, that one worked. And yeah. you're like, right. And I did the next thing. It's like, no, 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 but it worked. So like, do more of that. And it's when you the habit loop that you get into is trying new things and being comfortable with failure. You often don't know what to do with success. And so when something works. You might do it for a month or a year, but then you're still in the habit of like, okay, and what's the next thing that we're going to try? Yeah. Which is great if you can maintain the existing thing, but we uh, didn't do a great job with that in some cases. Like our affiliate program would be one. Like it played a huge role in, in like a lot of growth. And then as we looked for the next exciting thing, instead of maintaining the affiliate program, we kind of let it go stagnant as we tried the next thing. And then you don't notice for about a year or 18 months. And you're like, wait, why is that driving the same amount of revenue that it did? Why isn't it growing in proportion to everything else? And you look back at your business decisions, how you staffed any of those things. And you're like, oh, I see why. Like we took our foot off that, like off the gas there, put the same energy over here. Um, And so I think now the way that I think about growth is try to really closely pay attention to what's working and make sure that any new experiments don't distract from what's working. Like keep the experiments going, but you have to be able to keep energy on, you know, things like affiliates, content marketing, direct sales that uh, have worked before rather than chasing, always chasing a shiny new thing. Yep. No, definitely. And on the, on the, uh, on, on the direct sales side of things, the, like the, the team of 68, um, how big is the sales team uh, out of interest, uh, you know, from a, so we can give a reference point for those that are listening as it, as a bootstrap company, um, yeah. you get to know what, and, and that and what the structure is. Yeah, it's really small. It's three yeah. people. Three people. Uh, wow. So we also never built out and, and, you know, we never built out a traditional sales team. Like I remember probably about the time that maybe in 2017, uh, that was at SaaS doc and, Maybe like that 2016 and 2018 time period, I feel like everyone in SaaS was talking about the way that you build a sales team. And it was just like everywhere you turned, it was about building out like full, you know, 20, 50, 100, 500 person sales teams. And it might've been because you know, you're also hearing that from people like Jason Lemkin on the SaaSer side. And it's just, a, it's a very traditional playbook. And we never, we never did that. Partially because I didn't want, like coming from the product world, I wanted like, product-driven growth. Um, and then I'm not, I'm not sure why else. Um, maybe it's because our average customer value is quite a bit smaller. You no. know, like our ARPU is 60, $65, you know. Um, and we definitely have the customers paying $1,000 a month or $3,000 a month, but they're the exception. Yep. And so it doesn't lend itself as well to sales. Yeah, but I, I do wonder now, like, what would it have looked like if we'd built out like a traditional sales team in 2017 or 2018 and continue that momentum? Um, so now we're actually like, uh, of the three people on the sales team, you know, two of them were just recently hired, uh, and and so now we're actually building that out as a function. And 
if I, uh, you, you mentioned in terms of like, why do you created the company because you didn't like MailChimp and, and uh, you've created your own kind of product. Uh, MailChimp also uh, famously sort of bootstrapped and I, I mean, I don't know what the current revenue is, but I, I do right. Probably, probably 800 million. Would be 800 million. million. Okay, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, pretty excellent for a, for a, yep. a bootstrap, <laughs> bootstrap company. Do you uh, foresee and do you want, you know, ConvertKit to, you know, become as big a, a company? Is that what you're kind of trying to do uh, here? Um, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. Well, and so one thing that I should be really clear on is, I love MailChimp as a company and, and don't yeah. love it as a product. Um, and I've actually had some fun times at the uh, Inc. 500 conference. I got to sit down with Ben Chestnut. He was speaking that year and I like emailed him. And, you know, it was one of those things where he's like, hey, I'm checking out the hotel at this time and I'm going to the airport at this time. Like meet me in the lobby for a little chat for 20 minutes. And he was super generous with his time and all that. So I love the way they built the company, specifically the... Well, the lack of outside capital, like making their own decisions, choices. There's so many things that are weird about MailChimp that they, I think, were only able to do because, not because they didn't have outside capital, but because they could do whatever they want. And so, uh, like, they could stay true and authentic to who they are without, like, needing to answer to outside investors. These days, I think there's so much capital available that you, like, a company with good growth can completely raise on their own terms. And the investor's like, hey, you need to do this. And you're just like, no, <laughs> you know, like, uh, because money is so readily available that I don't think investors have the, uh, if you have a strong-willed founder, I don't think investors have the same level of sway or influence that they did say five or 10 years ago. Um, but other things that I admire about MailChimp, you know, in addition to them following their own playbook is just doing it for a long time. Like MailChimp is a 20 year old company. They've been doing this for a very long time. And so it's, it's basically this case study in compound growth. And so I think about, okay, um, if you take, I've been doing ConvertKit for a little over eight years now, and we're at basically 29 million. What does it look like if I do ConvertKit for another eight or 10 years? And I think that a lot of people who sell their companies just do it too early. And I understand why, like, uh, I think we want to tell new founders like, oh yeah, it gets easier. Like, you know, and, and some aspects of it get easier, but really it's just like the problems compound with the, the growth. Like, so I, I, founders get tired. Um, they build something that they don't love. They have pressure to sell any of those things. And so, uh, they opt out at some point. And I think that if you're continually listening to customers, um, continually evolving your product and, you know, trying to stay on top of the market that like at that point, it's just like, 20, I think that with those things, 28 million turning into a hundred million, it's kind of inevitable if we give it enough time. I don't know if that's going to take four years or six years, eight years, something like that. Um, but that's inevitable uh, with the right work. 800 million is probably <laughs> a different level. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, but like we're definitely shooting for at least that hundred million ARR mark. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, look at another um, reference point. If you look at like Atlassian, uh, I think as well, right? And now they're again, I saw like I think again, it's probably Jason Lemkin like tweeting out about their 
their valuation now or IPO it was two billion and now it's whatever it is like uh, uh, some, something crazy. But they they also kind of did a similar path, but I think took did take some capital, of course. Uh, I think it was uh, all secondary. Um, which you're going to see more, like, I think, yeah, I think Atlassian's capital pre-IPO was all, it was like $200 million of secondary. Um, I don't think any of it went into the business, if I understand correctly. Um, and now, obviously, with the IPO, they, I think they, they took primary capital, but yeah. um, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And like high valuations combined with, you know, really founder-friendly terms, I think you're going to see a lot more founders like on their own path either growing with their own capital or, or minimal outside capital, and then being able to sell like a million, five, 10, $10 million worth of, of shares in a secondary transaction that helps them to stay focused long-term. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've had VCs knocking on the door or not, not literally knocking on the tiny house in, uh, yeah. in, in Boise. That would be but, creepy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you probably received some emails, right? And, yep. um, but, you know, have you thought like, well, okay, mentioned, well, you know, you can see uh, ConvertKit being a $100 million company, but obviously your own terms doing it maybe in the next four, six years. But what about, you know, is there that kind of temptation that, you know, hey, we can help you get there much quicker, um, you, you know, and what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. It's something that I've thought about a decent amount. ConvertKit's a really quirky company, um, and it both serves us really well and and causes some issues. So things like we have a profit sharing program where sixty percent of all the profits in the company get distributed to the to the team. Um, we also have this ideal to build like a really high leverage company where, like, I think most twenty nine million dollar AR companies would have like somewhere between double and triple the team size that we do. Uh, and so we've, you know, we're looking to solve problems with code rather than more people like, um, and build great systems. And that's why you'll see us do things like focus on powered by and freemium and, and uh, content marketing because they're super high leverage as far as headcount. Um, and there's just a bunch of other things like where we're deeply invested in the company culture. Um, Cause that's what makes it the most fun. I think a lot of founders are focused on the outcome. Like, okay, if I can get to hundred million ARR, then I could sell this thing for a billion dollars. And then like, then I can relax and have fun. And when you have that mindset, you're willing to put up with a lot of nonsense on that journey, right? Cause the destination is all that matters. The journey is just like, look, two more years, three more years, like we'll, we'll suffer through it. And I've always taken a different approach of, uh, the journey is the thing that we're optimizing for and the destination is like the byproduct. That's the the fun thing. Um, and so, with that mindset, I always have to make make trade offs to think about if I take outside capital, is that going to mess up the the journey? Um, and so, having a relatively small team, high growth, high profits, like that's the way that I like to run the company. Uh, and I'm willing to sacrifice like maybe it takes me two years longer to get to hundred million ARR. Um, Cause like we all had a great time and we all served creators along the way. Uh, and then also, you know, the margins and everything in SaaS are so good that like we all li- live a good life along the way. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing is that I own almost all of the company. I own uh, just over 90% of the company and the rest is owned by the team. And so, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's a fun model and I like being different. And so there's not really a desire to take outside capital to like 
do a you're, traditional playbook. Yeah, you're 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 in a very good position to say, look, why you know, no, no real need to uh, uh, to to change. As say, unless there was this sort of burning ambition to build a decacorn, probably not a unicorn these days, right. but a decacorn, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah, decacorn um, is the new unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you you mentioned company culture, like the importance of company culture uh, mm-hmm. for you to to convert kit, and you're a, a, a remote company. Uh, and now we're seeing that obviously remote is now like the big trends that yep. all, like many SaaS companies that are being born in the last kind of year or so are becoming remote. Um, uh, and many companies because of COVID, you know, have become sort of remote or kind of hybrid. What, what tips can you give from, you, you know, maybe being an OG remote company, you know, kind of founder to those that are now just building remote or find themselves in this remote world for the first time to maintain a good company culture because it is, it is quite difficult perhaps certainly if you've not done it before right yeah it is and it's a very different thing and so we have this umbrella of remote and it's important to distinguish between remote first companies and remote forced companies because like now you see like every job listing you know might have a city on it but it's like or remote right because no one's using their offices yet you know all of that And a lot of people are having a really bad experience with remote because they're in a remote forced company. There's not uh, these these trends and habits that uh, make for good good communication. Um, A few things that we do that are really helpful, probably the first one is building a culture of written asynchronous communication. Um, It just makes a huge difference when everything doesn't have to be a call. Like, for example, we have a few areas of the business that are struggling right now where uh, they're just feeling hammered, a bit understaffed, right? And they're in that uh, like whitewater churn kind of phase. And so Daniel, who's our director of, of customer support, he has been in that place. And now he's in this, like his part of the, the, of the business is running really smoothly. And so he wrote, just put out this amazing post uh, in our internal Weeds Base Camp for it. Um, internal communications, basically talking about the whole arc and the changes that he put in place and how he went from this like whitewater churn challenging place to now like amazing response times, like high quality uh, responses and all of that. And like, he could do a whole presentation on it, but now he like, here's this thing that anytime one of our managers or someone is like really feeling that struggle, we can be like, it, it will get better. Like there's a pat, like here's an example of one of your, your, one of your peers who's gotten through it and can help you and all of that. Um, so th- that's the first thing. Um, I guess I have a couple like that. That's more high level, but maybe a few really tactical things. Um, we do like, no, we do shared no meeting days. So Tuesdays and Fridays, we don't do any internal meetings um, or at least any pre-scheduled ones. If you have like the two of you, you know, want to jump on a call and jam on something or like pair program or whatever, like go for it. But um, what that does is it gives people more time for like deep focused work. Also, you know, if you're a person who like wants to, or, you know, needs to get camera ready. I'm a person where I, you know, I get camera ready in five minutes, you know, I take a shower and we're like, we're good to go. But like giving your team members the ability to say like, Hey, on these days, you don't need to do the whole hair makeup, like, all, like you, you can have a, a break from that. Um, uh, so that's been really, really good. And doing it on the same day matters a lot because then everyone has like, oh, Tuesdays and Fridays are focus days. Um, another thing that we do is what we call SUPS. 
And it's a, a little bot that you plug into Slack. And what it does is every week it grabs three people at random and says, hey, you're going to have a SUP, which is just a 20 or 30 minute call, like get to know you call. Uh, and it assigns one person. So it'd be like, Alex, you're in charge this week, figure out a time. Um, and so in a 60, 70 person company, you get into a lot of silos. And so we just have this bot that breaks the silos because it grabs people at random um, and pairs them together. Uh, it also makes the point that, uh, you know, a, a trio is kind of always unique. Whereas like if you and I were always paired, we might have fallen the same patterns of conversation. But if we add a random third person, it's going to be a, a unique conversation. Um, I think two other quick ones. We made a, a, it's the ConvertKit Team Stories podcast. It's an internal private uh, podcast and it's just team members interviewing each other on their life stories. Like I've worked with people for on the team for five years or more where when I heard their podcast that, you know, like of their life, I learned so much more about them in that 45 minutes while I was out on a run. Uh, so we do that a lot. It's basically a lot of things about uh, connection and understanding. And the last one is we have a, another little bot. Uh, we call it the weekend bot. Um, and it, it pops up on Monday morning at 9am and says, what'd you get into this weekend? Like share a photo. And you get these little like peeks into people's lives of like, oh, there's their kids. There's their dog. That's what they're into. Like, oh, they, they go hiking every weekend. Um, that kind of thing. And so having a bunch of those things sort of change the staleness of remote work and, and replicate some of the best parts of in-person water cooler type life. Amazing. Th thanks for sharing uh, there. And, and uh, great to see uh, I haven't heard too much about, about internal podcasts and the use of that. So um, uh, you're going to see those, like that's going to be a big trend. They're going to be yeah. really popular soon. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And then talking to podcasts, you uh, you launched your own uh, podcast, uh, I think yeah. sort of, Recent was that the first time you've ever done your own podcast? Uh, or I did a podcast uh back in 2015, maybe of like did a season of it, uh, I don't know, 12 episodes or something like that. Because yeah. I know you did, you used to do like video blogs or vlogs and, and, and yeah. stuff like that. I think you've tried, yeah, to so I've experimented with a bunch of different things. Yeah, um, but what I realized is the podcast is really the best way to like meet new people and make connections. And so, starting an interview show is just like, oh, these are all the people that I want to meet. Like, yeah. let me, you know, the, like, uh, hey, can we jump on a call and meet? Sort of has one level of appeal as a pitch versus, hey, will you come on a podcast that goes out to, you know, 25,000 people on my email list? And like, yeah. and people are like, yeah, sure. Um, and so that's why I've enjoyed doing it. I think I'm 20 episodes or so into the the new podcast. It's a lot of fun. Good, uh, good stuff. And so, like, is that tied... Is that more like Nathan Barry, you know, as a brand or is this tied into, I mean, perhaps inevitably it is, but, you know, con convert kit. What is the, the strategy kind of around that? Is it, as you say, just during the pandemic, I just wanted to kind of connect with some people and, you know, here's a kind of way to do it. Yeah, it's a mix of both. There are some places where as a founder, you can have more connection and publicity than, um, than you can as a company. And so it's something that I, I'm still trying to figure out, but like when to be under the ConvertKit umbrella and when to be under the like Nathan Berry brand. Um, an example would be if you wanted to get on TV, like traditional television, I don't know, like Good Morning America or what, I don't even know television shows, but let's say you wanted to, to be on sort of that circuit. 
doing that as a SaaS company is really hard, you know, like unless you're on like business specific programs, but doing it as a book author, that's pretty normal, right? James Clear comes out with Atomic Habits and they're like, yeah, great. Come on, CBS, talk about it, you know, put your suit on, come in our fancy little like living room set and talk about it for 10 minutes. And so there's things where when you fit into that natural pattern, like uh, by coming out with a book as a founder, right? Then then uh, you might be able to get a level of publicity that you can't otherwise. And so I think the same thing, like Convergence Podcast versus my podcast. Uh, in that case, I think I'm able to build better connection with people individually. But then it ties back, right? The podcast is the art of newsletters. And so it's all about like interviewing people that I want to know who have big newsletters you know, in the email space. And a bunch of them have so like probably half the people I've interviewed are already on ConvertKit and the other half, you know, I want them on ConvertKit. And so that's yeah. a great way to start that connection. And it all ties back to direct sales because uh, I actually had this conversation with Seth Godin maybe four years ago or something. I was asking him how I should get more authors on, uh, on ConvertKit. And he was like, well, what do authors want? And I was like, uh, to sell more books. And he's like, yeah, so what can you do, you know, to help them sell more books, like build a popular podcast and interview them and drive traffic. And, you know, and that's way more compelling than like, Hey, will you chat about switching email providers? And yeah. so basically using that as a foot in the door has been not like a crazy revenue driving, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, look at this 4 million ARR tied back to this specific strategy, but it's been really good for building the network and bringing over like the key creators. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, certainly, I mean, like podcasting, well, the, the SaaS Revolution show, which we're speaking on now, actually existed before SaaS Talk, uh, but it kind of really helped me, like, you know, get on calls, conversations with people like yourself. And then when it came to the conference, it's like, hey, all these people I've spoken to, you know, I'm inviting you to come and speak at the, uh, at, at the conference and, you know, kind of over time, that's been really useful and really kind of helped me build out, like, you know, a great yeah. network of of people and you know give a sort of credibility and so on so um so, so that's been very beneficial for for, for SaaS stock but i've seen a lot of uh uh a lot of SaaS companies and like founders certainly have an approach where they look like who are our target customers and let's create a podcast let invite them on and see how that kind of works uh, you know as a kind of almost like a trojan horse type thing but then give up on the podcast kind of idea like you know three months kind of into it because they realize it's quite hard work uh, or like i mean it's a long game right you, you know and not everybody is kind of um you know kind of cut, cut out for that i think yeah and you have to do all of this for like it's that kind of a two-year time horizon minimum like you're allowed to decide if this worked and is worth doing after two years yeah. <laughs> you know like, <laughs> and we we want to evaluate whether it worked and is worth doing after two weeks and it's like yeah. no yeah. No, you don't, you don't get to do that. Like in the world of SaaS and audience building and all of that, we're playing a game of like compounding leverage and you can't check whether you like your compound growth happened after two weeks. Like that's not the way that compounding works. Unfortunately, it's the way that human nature works, but you just have to break that habit. Yeah, definitely. And just conscious of time, Nathan. So um, like final two questions. Uh, what's one piece of advice uh, or one valuable lesson um, you've learned from growing ConvertKit that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, so ConvertKit's been around for eight and a half years. And I think a lot of people maybe saw like the overnight success stage of ConvertKit. You know, we went from 2000 MRR to 100,000 MRR mm -hmm. in... 12 months. 
And then the next 12 months was 100,000 to 500,000. And so it's just like this hockey stick growth that everyone wants. Um, but no one really ever saw the, the two years that it took to get to the 2000 MRR. And so it's just that, uh, like I have a friend, his name is Sean McCabe, who uh, his company actually is called uh, Daily Content Machine. And they edit and like produce my podcast and all little clips and all that. But he has this quote, he just says, show up every day for two years. And, and that's kind of where the like, keep doing this consistently um, idea comes from of like, you, you can't evaluate for like that amount of time. So whatever you're doing, whether it's SaaS or building audience, any of these, these things that are like famously slow to get going, just make sure you set your time horizon long enough that set it at, at years rather than weeks or months. Uh, yep. And then like, you really can't lose if you show up consistently for a long, long time. Great advice. Um, uh, definitely, again, like something we, we, we subscribe to uh, and let's say, like, if you look at the SaaS revolution show where we're six years in uh, to, yep. to, to doing it, right? And uh, uh, again, I think like not that many, uh, there are a few, but not that many have had that like, longevity uh, to kind of uh, do it. Um, but it's uh, the same, like Gail Goodman's famous talk, uh, the long, slow SaaS ramp of death, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, it's just the same thing. This takes a really long time. Yeah. And so go in with that expectation. Definitely. Uh, final question, um, uh, easy one. Where, where can people find you online, Nathan? Yeah, so I blog at nathanberry.com. Uh, Barry's B-A-R-R-Y. Uh, basically any social network slash Nathan Berry uh, is where I'm at. Twitter is probably where I'm the most active. Definitely check out the podcast. Uh, you can search either Art of Newsletters or The Nathan Berry Show uh, in iTunes and it'll, it'll come up. And then if you don't already, go use ConvertKit. It's free to sign up. Will we see Nathan Barry on TikTok? You know, I'm not on TikTok. Yeah. That's one. I don't know. I'm only 31 years old, but I feel like uh, I look at TikTok and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, they're too young for me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's an, it, it, it's an interesting one. But Arnold Schwarzenegger's on it, and he spots kind of he all like, and he's got the team. But you, you know, but. Uh, but yeah, an interesting one, but we won't go into it. Uh, but um, but Nathan, look, thanks so much for, for your time, um, you know, speaking to the SaaS community and the SaaS Revolution Show. Um, fantastic to see you go, well, you know, from eight to 29 million. And, uh, you know, we'll have you back uh, when you're at 100 million, uh, you know, if, if not sooner, and, and, and to talk about that. But thanks so much, Nathan. Um, uh, great speaking with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.